Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. We're in Nagata, Japan with my new friend Greg Goodmacher, a freelance travel writer and self-proclaimed hot spring addict. He came to Japan for his teaching job and now writes about his unique experiences in Japan, including bathing in over 600 different hot springs. He loves the unique food culture, world-class skiing, and abundant bird life in this area of Japan. In this episode, Greg and I talk about competing in the international snowball fight, exploring the Murakabe Garden exhibitions, and visiting Sato Island. You hear about these three amazing experiences and so much more. If you know someone interested in visiting Japan, I'd love it if you shared this episode with them. The show notes and our one-page guide to Greg's tips are available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Nagata. Now let's get started. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Acorns is one of my favorite apps because it helps me invest spare change automatically. Every time I make a purchase with a registered debit or credit card, the transaction is rounded up to the next dollar. Then, Acorn invests these roundups in my personalized portfolio. Plus, when you shop at participating retailers or service providers, you can earn additional found money to invest in your future. Examples of current and previous partners include DoorDash, Liberty Mutual, Macy's, and FedEx. I've been using Acorns for years and love how much money I've saved up from all these small investments. Sign up using my referral link at wetravelthere.com forward slash acorns to start saving today. Hey, Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lee. It's a pleasure to be here. I had a chance to meet you through a, a community that we're involved in, the Travel Massive community. It's like a community for travel writers. And today we're talking about Nagata, Japan. And we've done a lot of Japan, uh, Japanese episodes recently. I'm learning so much about the country and about the different areas. And it just seemed like a really cool place. Like somebody loves a snowboard, loves snow and everything else like that. Like when you think of Japan, you don't really think of snow and everything. You're thinking like these big cities, they're kind of advanced and it's like a different world, but there are a lot of like really great nature places within the, within the country that I think kind of get overlooked by most travelers. That's true. Actually, Japan has more forests than most countries. Yeah, you don't really think about that because it's you know it's a relatively small island, and so you think that a lot of times like the cities overrun the entire place, but that's not true. Yeah, actually, it's an archipelago with thousands of islands, and it's uh, very very different from you know we've got Hokkaido close to Russia, Siberia, very cold, and then stretches all the way down to islands near. Taiwan and which are semi-tropical. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. So we were talking beforehand that you're a freelance writer based in, in Nagata. Like, how did you get there and, and what's your connection to the area? I um, came to Japan actually as a English teacher and uh, started off in a city called Nagoya and I moved around. I kept finding better jobs, started off as a lecturer and ended up as a professor and changing different positions, going to different areas. And I was a restless person. I found Nigata because I like college. I like the weather. You're talking about snow. This is snow country. In fact, that's the Japanese uh, nickname for this area of Japan, snow country. I miss, love snow, and it's uh, a great place in many ways. Beautiful mountains. It's along the Sea of Japan. Oh, that's fantastic. And so for, for people that aren't really familiar with the, with the area, where is it in relation to the main island as well as like as 
a bigger city that people more recognize, like Tokyo? Okay, it's about actually just two hours from Tokyo by the bullet train, but it's um, still quite a, it feels like a completely different world. Uh, as you mentioned, most people have a stereotype of Japan as being big cities, and there is a section along from close to Tokyo down to, say, Osaka, which is very, very, very congested. But then other parts of Japan, there's a tremendous amount of uh, open space. There's a lot of open space up here along the Sea of Japan, up in the northern part of the main island, which is called Honshu. Okay, okay. And uh, just looking at the map, it seems like it's crazy to think it's been like a decade now, I think it was. But on the other side of, of, the, of the country, like uh, facing the, the Pacific Ocean, that's opposite of Nagata is uh, Fukushima, right? That's where there was like the nuclear that got hit by the, the typhoon or whatever? Yes, that's where the, uh, the nuclear plant had exploded and the, the tsunami, tsunami and earthquake devastated uh, so many lives. Yeah, yeah. We felt it here in Niigata, and we had a lot of uh, refugees or uh, evacuees. The high mountains, the way the winds blew, they blew most of the uh, radiation off into the sea, so we were, I believe that we were pretty safe here. That's good news. Yeah, the, <laughs> for sure. That's always a little bit of a scary situation. But overall, uh, like you said, it, you guys were, were far enough away where you weren't really affected, but close enough where you provided a kind of a safe harbor for, for the, the citizens of Fukushima. Yeah, there's a lot of collaboration between the prefectures. That's fantastic. So like you said, you've been, you've been in Nagata for, for quite a while now. Uh, if you had to describe like the people or the city or the area in just a couple of words, how would you do that? Rural traditional and uh pretty much down to earth sounds like my type of people i i love the, the down to earth and this is like friendly and uh, unpretentious you know okay so let's, let's talk about if people want to come to visit nagata say we're coming from the united states are there direct flights or do we fly into one of the major cities and then take the train or like a a local flight from there from the u.s i do not believe there are any direct flights you'd have to fly into one of the major cities and then take a local plane into uh, Niigata or take their buses and their trains. There's quite a variety of buses and trains. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think, I think what you mentioned earlier about the, the bullet train, I think that's one of the things that I really love to be able to do because obviously we don't have those type of high speed trains in the, in the U S and I think it's just wonderful being able to, to move at that, that speed and, and not have to worry about driving or anything else. Uh, if we were going to take that, that train, do you know about how much it would cost to go from, from Tokyo to Nagata? Right now, it's probably about a little over 20,000 yen, which is this round trip, um, which is probably about $150 now. But you can get the Japan Rail Pass which will give you incredible discounts and uh, traveling opportunities. Oh, sure. That way, you can, if you're coming to the country, then you can actually see multiple cities and, and not have to worry about it once you get there because you have the, the rail pass and be able to just travel around and, and enjoy multiple cities. That, that's true. And also another way to save money is the, there are buses, and some of them are overnight buses. They're really cheap, like $25, $30 one way. And they're very comfortable. Oh, that's great. Okay. So say, assume we take you know the train or one of the buses and we get there to Nagata. Once we get to that area, 
How do we get around while we're, while we're there visiting the city? Is it very walkable or is it something that we need to rent a car while we're there uh, or just use like rideshare or, or even like the trains? All right. The um, downtown area is walkable and there are city buses. There are actually very, very cheap for about the equivalent of a dollar, if I remember correctly, bicycles that you can actually rent right close to the train station. And there's also a water taxi, which goes up and down the river. That's pretty exciting. You can bring the bike and then uh, get off at one point, ride around. Really exciting. Uh, but Uganda is very wide and very long. And this, it's an amazing city in that many different small towns joined up with Niigata. And there are rivers running in between, and the bus system does not really connect those very well. So if you want to get out of the downtown area and to see most of uh, the prefecture, a rental car is the best. Although there are trains that will also take you to some incredible places. Okay, good. We've got a lot of different options. And and you're, you're kind of alluding there is there's Nagata, the, the city, but there's also Nagata, the prefecture, which is also kind of like similar to like a, a state in the United States. It's more kind of a, a region. And like you said, there's there's multiple different cities like Murakami and Gosen. That's correct. Okay. So, yeah. So we're going to want to be able to, while we're there, kind of explore some of the best that, that there is to offer from all these different cities. And I'm sure each one of them has uh, you know great local things to do while you're there. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of difference between the various areas. Okay. And now if, if we're coming up to this area and we obviously we need a place to stay, do you have any recommendations as far as different hotels or, that kind of get uh, allow us to kind of embrace the local culture and, and have a unique experience? Okay. Once you come into Niigata City, especially if you arrive at night, I would stay at like the Dormi Inn. It's a, they actually, it's a chain and they're around Japan. And one of their main points is that almost every single one of them has a hot spring in the hotel. That's a natural, usually a natural hot spring, you know, naturally heated thermal water. But in some cases, they actually, if there's not a hot spring around, they do heat up the water and create giant baths. The one in Nigata is, is really incredible. It is a natural hot spring. And it's on the top floor of the Dormi Inn. You get incredible views, a lot of different style baths. Like one looks like a cave bath, and then there's scented baths, and there's jacuzzi-like baths. It's really wonderful. I recommend that. Very reasonably priced. And I also highly recommend staying in Japanese Ryokan. You know, get to know the uh, traditional Japanese-style hotel experience. One I really love is Ivankeso. Uh, out in uh, Subame Sanjo area. Okay. We heard about the Ryokans, I think, with our Osaka episode. Uh, they're kind of like the equivalent of people that aren't, aren't familiar with it. It's kind of like the equivalent of like a, like a, like a bed and breakfast, right? Um, you, you could say that in a way, that you stay there and they get a, you get breakfast too, usually. But it is gourmet food almost all the time. Really incredible gourmet food most of the time. Usually it's traditionally prepared Japanese food. Many of them pride themselves on using locally sourced vegetables, meats, and seafoods. And you've got tatami mat rooms. You, you Often they've got lots of priceless works of art on the premises. And uh, often there's the kamisamo, oh kamisan, sorry, who is uh, like the hostess. Okay. 
Yeah, that's what I, that's what I meant with like a like a like a bed and breakfast where it's like you have somebody that that lives on site. It's like their property, and they treat you basically like a guest within their home. In that way, often that I mean that is correct. Many times, there are many they've been owned by the same family for many generations, and they're hot springs usually. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, there's another one that I saw that seems really interesting also. It's the Hotel Nico Nigata. Yes, that is uh, very luxurious. That's uh, more expensive than the Dorme Inn. Uh, it's um, got an observatory on the top with incredible views, actually, from almost anywhere. You're going to have great views. One of my friends stayed there a while, and she and her husband loved it. Uh, they have a really nice buffet. Uh, I haven't eaten anything else other than buffet, the buffet there, but it was delicious. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, when we're talking about uh, visiting Nagata, what's the weather like throughout the year? And, and are there certain times uh, that are better to visit than others? Maybe if there's like a certain festival or annual event? Well, I'm a person who loves winter. I love snow. So if you want to enjoy winter sports, this is the place to be. So that's the best time. Summer is really hot and humid. So lots of people don't really like to hang out here in summer. Spring and autumn are amazingly beautiful. You know, in spring, you get all sorts of fresh colors of green right after uh, winter as the snow melt comes down and the fresh herbs and grasses and leaves develop. And then autumn is just absolutely amazing. The colors, the mountains look like they're on fire. Oh, wow. That's really awesome. Like you mentioned, like as far as like the winter goes, I saw there's some pretty cool festivals. Like there's a, a snowball fight festival. Oh yes, that's one of my favorite festivals. Yeah, it's the uh, Koksai Yuki Gasen or International Snowball Fighting Competition. It is incredibly fun. It's one of the zaniest festivals I've ever <laughs> encountered. That's in February, when the coldest time of the year. In in Koide Nigata, where often it gets maybe seven ten meters of snow and they create these official snowball fight tournament grounds with rules and their judges overseeing <laughs> and it's but there's so much humor it's serious fun it's also a like a cosplay festival i mean most of the teams the people dress up you'll see people and it's amazing it's it could be way below zero and the people in bikinis running around in snowball fights or in Mario Brothers cartoon characters or dressed like Japanese monsters. Oh, it, it, it's so much fun. And they make uh, snow kind of like igloos in a way. These little shops and they're heating up sake. They're outdoor snow bars. There are there's snow sledding, all sorts of people making um, snowmen. It is so much fun. It's really interactive. Uh, food is incredible. Uh, I bet my kids would love that for sure. There's also the uh, the Tokamachi uh, Snow Festival. Oh, yeah. That's another wonderful thing. Many people have heard of the Sapporo Snow Festival. They have these gigantic snow sculptures, buildings, you know, many stories high. And that's kind of what you get in Tokamachi, but it's smaller scale. And Sapporo, everybody around the world knows it but people don't know about tukamachi so it is much more traditional it's really small town feel with amazing art works of art created in the snow 
Oh, that sounds awesome. Uh, and then for people that you maybe the, the snow isn't their, their thing when it turns the the springtime, you know, a little bit warmer weather. There's like uh, garden house exhibitions over in Murakami. Oh yeah, Murakami is an amazing city in the northern part of Niigata, and it's so beautiful. There's an area what they call the Machia, which is like the very very old style houses, old shops that are very close together, and people decided that they should really preserve those buildings. And they want to bring people in. They want to attract visitors and revitalize the economy. And they figured the way to do that is preserve these old homes and attract respectful visitors. And what they do, it's amazing act of generosity and openness. These people, they open up their homes and on certain dates, they have uh, doll festivals. There's a Japanese Hinamatsuri uh, doll festival and people display their dolls. And every family in these homes, again, multi-generational, hundreds of years old. These people have dolls that are hundreds of years old and they put them on display. The doors are open. You can walk into their homes, watch them. There's another time of year, the Japanese folding screens where people again open up their homes and have their their folding screens on display and then there's another time when they exhibit their gardens and their beautiful traditional japanese gardens in these homes you can get a map and though there's a little display outside of each house or building saying we're part of this program please come on in wow that's that's amazing like you know in the u.s it's like you know sorry doors locked (laughs) Go away, no soliciting, you know, signs on the door and everything else. So it's like a, it's, it's almost like everything's flipped uh, 180 degrees. Oh, it's, it's very different. There's a lot of openness and generosity. Many of these places offer free food. Yeah, I love that welcoming, that welcoming attitude and persona. Now, when we talk about different things to do uh, when we're visiting Nagata, I saw that there's like a, a Northern Culture Museum there. Yes, that's a really beautiful and amazing place. It's amazing for a couple different reasons. One is the gardens there are absolutely amazing. If you you know, like traditional Japanese gardens and beautiful flowers, that's wonderful. You should go there for that. If you want to see some old style buildings, it's great there. The art inside, priceless works of art. Some of them are cultural treasures. Sure, sure. And then, like you mentioned earlier, that Japan is actually, most people think of it like as an island, but it's actually an archipelago. And one of the many islands that's off the coast there of Nagata is uh, Sado Island. Sado Island. Sado Island, okay. And so what do we, is there an easy boat ride to get over there, or how do we get there, and what do we do when when we're visiting Sado Island? Okay, yes. Sado Island, you can get there by boat, and there's hydrofoil as well as a slower boat from Nagata, and... It's a very pleasant ride, really relaxing. The island is a few hours away. It is perhaps the sixth or seventh largest, I'm not sure about that, so between fifth, sixth, or seventh largest island of Japan. And it has a, a history that's amazing. It was known as the Island of Exile, where at certain times, certain people annoyed the, or had some trouble with the emperor or emperors, and they were sent there in exile. And some of them were artists, and some of them were members of the elite, and they developed beautiful, beautiful temples there. And no, Japanese no, sort of flourished there. There's also a gold mine that had a major influence on not just Japan, but the world. 
it is up for consideration as a World Heritage Site, and it, it might become one. You got to apply for that. Um, you should definitely go to see that. One of the other major points of it is a taiko drumming group. One of Japan's leading taiko, taiko is percussion, Japanese traditional percussion band is there. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, there are geoparks around the island. There are traditional rice fields with views of the sea. There is, in June, if I remember, an amazing bicycle ride. You can ride around the island, and there are different lengths of this ride, like 40 kilometers, and the longest is something like, uh, I don't remember. It's over 100 kilometers, probably. It's really a fun place, and you can actually, there's even a little ski resort on the island. There's hiking. There's fresh seafood. There's a couple wonderful sake breweries. It's beautiful. It's relaxing. I really like it. That sounds like a great time. You mentioned the ski resorts. Uh, there's a couple of different resorts that I saw. There's the Yuzawa Ski Resort and then the Miyoko uh, Snow Resort. Oh, yeah. Actually, um, back in 1996, I think it was. I'm not sure about the exact year. Japan had the Winter Olympics, and that was held partly in Nagano Prefecture and partly in Niigata Prefecture. The part that was in Niigata was around Miyoko. So Miyoko is, was one of Japan's first ski resort areas. The mountains there are absolutely beautiful. And again, it's got wonderful hot springs. There are waterfalls. It's a beautiful place. Yuzawa has another beautiful, beautiful ski resorts. And a long history, it was actually the setting for Japan's first Nobel Prize-winning novel, which was titled Snow Country. Oh wow, that's really cool. I mean, it's it's something like, like again when I think of when I think of Japan, most people don't think about the snow and don't think about skiing or anything along those lines. But it sounds like there's there's something for everyone. Uh, one thing we we don't want to miss out talking about, we only have a couple minutes left, uh, is talking about the food in, in Japan because I know that. You know, there's a lot of culinary delights in Japan. What are some of the places we should stop for a meal while we're there visiting? I highly recommend an izakaya. Izakaya is a restaurant, bar, some kind of perhaps closest tavern in a way. Uh, There's a place called Ika no Sumi. It is absolutely incredible. It looks very traditional. Service is excellent. And my recommendation is that you eat at the counter because then you can see the chefs preparing the food. And my recommendation for a food choice is the tuna jaw. Mmm, it's so wonderful. Most people don't know to order that, actually. I'm sure that's amazing. Of course, their sashimi is fantastic. And the local, actually, local tofu, if you're a vegetarian, the tofu here is incredible, and you got that. Right on. There's a there's another place that seems like it's it's really good, uh, Madame Kikawa. Oh yes, oh Madame Kikawa in Murakami, back to Murakami. That is such a rich area to be in so many ways. It is famous for its salmon and salmon culture. There's a river where salmon still flow. People catch the salmon and they prepare the salmon in ways that are no longer or or rarely find in other parts of Japan. Madame Kikawa serves salmon prepared in a variety of ways that you would never expect. I mean, they have special dishes with 
the salmon bones, dishes of salmon skin, salmon heart, salmon liver. There is even a special dish that used to be only served to the Emperor of Japan in this it's beautiful, luxurious restaurant. Oh, that sounds so cool. It's like like you can be part of royalty almost like during your during your vacation with that. One thing I also saw there's a there's actually a a shop that's attached to it where if you want to be able to buy something and, and be able to bring some home some of that delicious food, you can do that as well, right? Oh yeah, there's the actual Kikawa, which was actually came first. That's uh, also the the current owner is the second generation owner. And they take the salmon, they prepare the salmon by covering it with salt, and then they hang them up to dry. Wakami gets very, very strong winds, and it's located just far enough from the sea, so you get the salty air as well, but um, it's not too humid. And these are basically air-dried. People put them on the outsides of the buildings of their homes. You might see them when driving or walking around town. And in Kikawa, you can see them in the shop as well. It's an amazing place. That is so cool. Well, Greg, I really appreciate sharing all these uh, fantastic tips for, for Nagata. I can't wait to come and visit. But now it's time for the final countdown. If somebody only had time for one meal when they visited Nagata, uh, where should they go and what should they eat? Uh, well, the one meal I recommended was the one in Ikonosumi. Okay, so we're going to go to Ikonosumi and we're going to get some of that tuna jaw while we're there, right? Yes. That sounds amazing. Like you said, you've been in Nagata for many years now. I'm sure you created a lot of memories. What's one of the most memorable? I've got a lot of memories. I'd just say there's one time my, my wife and I actually camped. We were way up in the mountains, and we wanted to go to a hot spring at a uh, Lenge Onsen. So we, we camped, and then we walked a couple kilometers to the hot spring and building. There's a lodge, and we found the lodge was closed. And actually, we did something we probably shouldn't have done, maybe. We walked around the back behind it, and we went up the mountain. Nobody was there. We could enter the wild hot springs, because the hot springs are just up on the side of the mountain. We're all by ourselves. Views of countless miles, mountains. and It was beautiful, beautiful. That sounds like a perfect setting. All alone. Then we walked back, and it started getting dark late at night. And we uh, believe that we we startled a bear on the road. Oh no! <laughs> in the mountains are bears, and it it was as scared as we were. It ran down the hill and left us. It was an amazing experience. Oh, that sounds cool. Now, uh, speaking of good times and happy memories, where's the happiest happy hour in Nagata? Okay, um, you got to go to Furumachi. Furumachi is an area with a whole bunch of small izakayas, little pubs. I would recommend bar hopping. Just walk on in, find a place that looks appealing to you. There are tiny little alleys, you know, maybe some places only two people side by side walking can walk. And just walk around and you'll see some building uh, with an interesting door. Go on in, just see what is inside there have a drink, have a beer, chat with the people, smile a lot, offer to pour beer for somebody. And they'll end up doing that for you. It's very uh, reciprocatory. Yeah, I think it's like a, like a sign of respect, right? Yeah, and politeness. Uh, that's awesome. I think that's, like, that's a big part of the, the culture there. And I think that a lot of other places probably should adopt some of that for sure. Now, one of the things I always do whenever I travel is I check out the local pizza. What's the best place for pepperoni pizza in Nagata? Okay, I recommend... 
Nora Cucina. Nora Cucina is a blend of Italian and Japanese. Um, there's one in the Toyosaka area of Niigata, and it's a beautiful, beautiful old building. It took like an old farmhouse style atmosphere, and there's a modern pizza oven. Actually, well, actually modern. It's a you know rock style pizza oven. It is incredible, and they blend Japanese and Italian dishes. They source the ingredients. The area of Toyosaka is famous for its large red sweet tomatoes, and the tomato sauce is superb. Oh, that sounds amazing, and it's always kind of cool when you get that, that fusion aspect of things, where you get the best of both cultures and, and combine them into one. Oh, I agree. Now, I, I know from, uh, from speaking to you earlier, you're a travel writer, you've traveled all over the world and, and have a lot of great experiences, and, and with those experiences, I'm sure you come up with some great tips. What's your best travel tip? My best travel tip is speak to a lot of people. Don't uh, hold back. Don't be shy. Share things. Like I said, when you go into a you know a bar or something, you know, share your your drink or food or with people. You you. And if you're in Japan, actually, it is a really nice thing if you actually offer the chef a drink. Oh wow! They really appreciate that, and then you'll end up getting some free extra meals or free drinks too. There's an expression here, uh, say, every day, that means like with a little shrimp, you have caught a big snapper. <laughs> That's a cool saying. So again, Greg, I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all these amazing tips. Can you tell the audience a little more about who you are and what you do? Okay. I've been in Japan for almost three decades. Mostly I came out, I started off as a, a language teacher, and uh, but I love writing. And I started writing educational materials. And then from there, I moved into education materials and travel and culture writing. Uh, written for international magazines, uh, air and flight magazines. Uh, I've written guides. I've helped with local companies. Just recently did some work for a sake brewery. They're advertising. I'm looking forward to doing more writing. I, I love writing. I'm planning to increase my writing, my freelance writing. That's amazing. I mean, even even from talking to you earlier, the fact that you've been writing textbooks for that's used at a lot of the schools there in Japan. That I mean, that's I have a huge admiration for you with with that. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. So, if uh, if people have questions about your writing, about uh, Nagata, or uh, also about your your blog about the hot springs, uh, what's the best way to reach you on social media? Well, my my blog is Hot Spring Addict. So you can just uh, Google that and uh, you can look, find me on LinkedIn and Facebook and I have a muckrack profile. And if you don't know muckrack, it's for uh, writers and journalists. You can get links to a lot of my stories. Yeah, that's fantastic. We'll, we'll definitely include links to that in the show notes. And I thought it was really cool to find out that you actually been to over 600 hot springs uh, throughout uh, Japan. That's that's awesome, and I, I mean, I think it's kind of something that we can all aspire to, just be able to relax in those hot springs and enjoy yourself. Oh, yeah, I'm a hot spring addict. <laughs> For sure. I ride with them. Ones that are in the ocean, when they're on tops of mountains, and everywhere in between. That's amazing. Well, definitely, uh, Greg, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and we look forward to seeing you when we travel there. Okay, likewise. What an awesome conversation with Greg. I haven't visited Japan yet 
and I love learning about the many different experiences that are waiting for us when we travel there. You can find all the links we talked about and our one-page guide to Greg's tips at wetravelthere.com forward slash Nagata. We want to say thank you to Acorns for being today's affiliate partner. With Acorns, you can invest spare change automatically on every purchase that you make. Plus, you can earn found money by shopping at participating retailers. This is a great way to easily build up your travel fund. For a limited time, when you sign up at wetravelthere.com forward slash acorns, we'll both earn $5. Join us next time as we head to Asheville, North Carolina to speak with my good friend Christy Tolley, the author of 100 Things to Do in Asheville Before You Die. In this episode, Christy and I talk about exploring the River Arts District, attending the Chow Chow Food and Culture Festival, and seeing the animals at the Western North Carolina Nature Center. We hope you join us when we travel there. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, please share it with your friends and tell them what you like most. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast app. That way you won't miss any of our upcoming destinations.